to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to the second half of Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Today we're going to talk about talking to your kids about sex. You know, from television commercials to easily accessible internet pornography, it seems that the pervasiveness of sexual language and images encountered by children in everyday life just continues to increase. As a result, younger and younger kids are being thrown into this confused world of sexting, along with glorified pregnant teenagers and vulgar sexual language and endless innuendos. This is a great concern to parents. And our guest today is Deborah Rothman, who understands it can be very, you know, it can be very difficult when it comes to your child's knowledge of sex and sexuality. She's an educator, and she's a former member of the National Advisory Council for Sexual Health. Deborah Rothman's work on childhood he has appeared on the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and the Boston Globe. And her book, her brand new book, is called Talk to Me First, Everything You Need to Know to Become Your Kids' your kids Go-To Person About Sex. And her previous books include Sex and Sensibility. Hello, Patricia. How are you today? Good. All right. So, you know, you offer parents a new way to communicate with their children about sexuality. And it's a tough one. I mean, I've heard many people say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to touch it. You know, what's going to happen? So I guess the first question is, how do you approach it, particularly for little kids? I mean, we're talking about kids five to eight years old who may be hearing something on TV or they, they, by accident, something flashes up on the screen, and they don't understand. How do you handle it? I think the first thing to do is to recognize that we have to do some work on ourselves uh, first. The truth is that even though this subject seems and feels so terribly daunting, that's only because we think of it in different ways than we do other subjects, and we don't really need to. This is just another area of life that our children are naturally curious about, and you mentioned before how much exposure kids have today, and the real goal, and this is you know, the subtitle of my book, is how do we get to be their go-to people about this subject, not friends, not peers, not media. And the trick really is to tune into where children are, as I say, quite naturally from a developmental perspective. Instead of putting things off indefinitely, and when we do that, we just guarantee that somebody else is going to get there first. So what do we say when our when our children come up to us and say, you know, where where did I come from? Where do babies come from? The important thing is to understand that that's a perfectly natural question and that it has really nothing to do about sex. They don't know anything about sex. They're not interested in it. That's an adult experience that they have no sense of whatsoever. What they really want to know is is gradually in a series of conversations uh, how, where they were before they were born, uh, how they got out of there once they know they were inside of you. That's a quite logical question that they would ask. And finally, that because at six years old they become very cause and effect oriented, they tend to want to know for 
how did I get caused? What started me? And that answer is about sperm and egg and how they get together. And again, only only because we read things into their questions do we think it's about sex. Right. So we can answer in a very clinical way, really. Uh, you can answer, well, not necessarily a clinical way, because that sounds so sort of sterile um, to, to, like, use a pun there, uh, unintended. Um, they, they're just fascinated by all kinds of things, and we love to watch our children be fascinated about things, and uh, it's, the excitement is in the fact that we create this special bond with them at a very early age to talk mm-hmm. about all kinds of meaningful things in life, uh, and this subject is really no different. Mm-hmm. All right, now I'm going to fast forward a few years to teen years, and this is a really tough question. The tough question is, your kid, your children are now a little older, they've seen a lot, they've talked to their friends, and they come to you and they say, how old were you when you first had sex? How do you as a parent answer that? Particularly I think that's an exciting example really of it. a question that parents dread and they don't need to. It's a wonderful teachable moment. Uh, first of all, nobody ever has to give personal private information about their sexual lives. And in today's world, kids need direct instruction about, regardless of what you see and hear around you, sex is supposed to be private. And I'm not really comfortable sharing with you information about my sexual life because it's private. And it also involves other people, somebody else or other people, and I don't have their permission to share that with you. Mm. So the important thing is to recognize what the child is really asking once again. If they're asking you a when question, they're probably not interested in your decisions as much as their own. What they're trying to do is figure out how do people go about making those decisions and what's a good age or not a good age and why. And that's what there is for the parent to focus on. Well, then let, let me let me switch that then. Do you have the right as a parent to ask your children if they're having sex or is that also private? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, I think that one of the things that, um, we, we need to recognize that is that this this discussion is not only about information. Uh, children have five fundamental needs uh, in, in everything they face in life from their parents and from other nurturers in their life. And I'll just say them very quickly. One is the need for affirmation, which roughly translates in part to unconditional love and acceptance for who they are. And who they are are developing young people, and they're also developing their in their sexuality. And we need we adults need not to run from that, but to just accept that that's part of their natural normal development. Two is the need for information. Three is the need for clarity about values. Uh, and they look to us to tell them what's important about everything in life, including this subject. Four, and this is really where your question, I think, fits best, is children and adolescents have a fundamental need for limit setting. And when our children are in uh, in places and surrounded by people, uh, especially their own age, when there is no adult presence, that's when they decide, well, limits must not be important, and 
I'll just choose to do whatever I want to do. If there's proper adult presence and kids know that there are limits, they're not going to color too far outside the lines. And our responsibility is to keep them in that kind of safe place. And if we do, then they are much, much less likely to engage in behavior that's age inappropriate. And sort of that's our, not a guarantee, but close to it, that they will not engage in those behaviors until they're ready. So so going along with what you're saying, Deborah, how do parents go about promoting a healthy dialogue about matters of sex and intimacy with children at various stages of development? It could be teens, it could be less. How do they, so that it becomes part of the conversation when, when needed? Well, if you define sexuality as broadly as I do, and that to me means human sexuality is everything in human life that is connected in any significant way to issues of sex, gender, and reproduction. That's a vast subject. And issues of sex, gender, and reproduction come up in life all the time. We're not talking about body parts rubbing. That might be part of it. But the most important thing is to help children understand the depth and breadth of how sexuality impacts our lives and how our lives impact our sexuality. Uh, so if we can only relax and give up the idea that talking with your children about sex means literally talking about sex as opposed to values about sex, information about sex, guidance about sex, limit setting about sex, then uh, we recognize again that it's part of what we're supposed to be doing with our kids about everything else in life. Mm. And, you know, there, this connection between sex and, and intimacy in today's world has almost disappeared. And I agree. what are some of the ways that parents can reestablish that between the two for their adolescents, that sex and intimacy go together? First of all, uh, we have to, again, redefine sexuality and, and sexual experiences. What kids see around them all the time is the notion that sex is about body parts uh, rather than the human being attached to those body parts. I think if we start early on explaining to kids that human beings have a deep-seated need and, and I would say drive for intimacy in their lives of all kinds, emotional intimacy, social intimacy, um, et cetera, uh, then we can help them, on, we can help, diffuse this idea that sex is about body parts rather than about human closeness. And as I said before, human beings have an absolute fundamental need for physical closeness with other people and for emotional closeness. And it's sort of like explaining, you know, when you first meet someone, you don't tell them your whole life story. You tell you tell them little by little until you have enough track record with that person to establish trust. And we can easily think about sexual behavior in the very same way. You might kiss a lot of people in your life, but you, you save sharing the most intimate physical and emotional parts of yourself for someone that you have this this very deep kind of trust and feeling of safety. And that's you a message that kids can't understand. You talk about the five-piece suit, which is affirmation, information, clarity about values, anticipatory guidance, and setting limits. 
You talk about that when communicating with kids about sex and sexuality. Explain. Uh, so, as I said before, children, I believe, have really only five core nurturing needs, and that's what they are. And that means that adults, it's sort of a job description, basically have five uh, roles to play in their life around nurturing. So, as I said, let's start with affirmation. We need to affirm that children, that a part of children's physical, social, emotional, and intellectual development from birth on has to do with who they are as sexual and gendered people. So that means it's, it's a really good idea to read, uh, think, and talk about these stages of normal development, including how sexuality fits in, and to just understand, to affirm our children uh, in knowing that, yeah, they're going to have questions and concerns Throughout the years about this topic, it's not a sit down, we're going to talk about it, whatever that means to you. Um, information, young children are very concrete. As they get older, they think more abstractly so they can handle bigger and bigger subjects. Uh, and just as parents know how to frame things so that children can understand in a concrete to more abstract way, that's exactly the same way to think about this information. We need to name the values we want our children to bring to all sexual experiences. As I said before, we need to set limits so that they're not making decisions that are beyond their years to make, and we need to give them lots and lots of guidance for when they find themselves in situations where they have to make their own decisions. What, ha- what happens when they see a picture in a book? Let's say they see a you know, a pornographic picture or mm-hmm. two people who are, you know, having intercourse and they come to you with this or you've explained it and they come to you. This is a curious child. So you've explained it, you know, as you said before, you've explained what happens and they find a picture of it and they come back and they mm-hmm. say, can I do that? Uh, I think we Americans have to make this connection between knowing and doing about sexuality, uh, which no study that I'm aware of has ever proven. In fact, just the opposite is true. Children who have parents who talk with them openly and frequently and honestly about this subject make slower, more considered decisions. They don't jump you know, into something that just, oh, that seems cool. Uh, we, when we encourage them to think and reason about these subjects, we're really encouraging them to be cautious. And kids who have these kinds of dialogues delay sexual experiences of all kinds beyond uh, the age of their peers who do not have this kind of support. That's decades of research documents that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I think what you're saying is sometimes we make it bigger than it, than it needs to be. Yeah, it's it's huge, and it's also very ordinary in terms of the things that we need need to do to support our children's healthy development. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a huge part of life. How did you get into this? How did you decide to move into this area of being a sex educator? That's a great question. You know, if you talk to most people my age, the way there was no field. Uh, we were all pioneers back in the seventies when I got started in this. Uh, field, and I fell into it totally by accident, and that's true about a lot of people. I needed a job, and an agency in Baltimore had some funding, and they wanted to hire somebody to educate adolescents about sexuality, and that's how it started. 
Deborah, let me ask you from um, a societal standpoint. I mean, you deal with this every day. Where do you think the problem is? I mean, there's a real issue with sex. I mean, there people are so confused. You know, you should have sex, you shouldn't. It's brutal, but no, it's wonderful. Sometimes it is great, and sometimes, right. and, and and you mm-hmm. can only it can only be wonderful in specific situations. Otherwise, it's bad. It's very confusing. Explain. Well, it, it, we give endless mixed messages to kids. Uh, do don't you know? Do it now. Save it forever. Uh, and of course, that's terribly confusing. And I think it's because, again, we focus on body parts. Uh, is it okay to engage in that particular behavior or not? And that's re- the reason we're confused is that's way too narrow in terms of how we should be thinking about this subject. Um, this uh, sexual intercourse, for example, is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the most powerful sexual behavior or any behavior on the face of the earth. It has the ability to do the three most powerful things there are, and that's create life, potentially take life away, not only because, you know, we think about HIV, but also um, many women have died throughout the world and, uh, in childbirth since we began this conversation. Um, and it has the ability to change any number of people's lives forever. So the real conversation is, how grown up is my child? How capable are they of communicating about this subject well? How capable are they engaging in the kind of planning behavior that uh, whereby they can prevent unwanted consequences? It's really a discussion about maturity around very, very potentially serious behaviors. You know, though, there's another whole aspect to this, Deborah, that I'd like to talk about. In light of the best-selling book of 2012, Fifty Shades of Grey, okay? Mm -hmm. So now you look at this. This is a best-selling book. All of a sudden, this is coming out of the closet. And there's some, you know, sexual behavior in there. I don't know if you'd call it aberrant, but it certainly Mm -hmm. is not the aberrant. It's way out there. Let's put it that way. All right. So the question is then... Uh, you know, how do you handle that part? Because there's a whole other part of sexuality that's intimate and loving and right. arousing and sensual. Talk about that. Again, it's confusing. You know, I am quite alarmed uh, this year uh, for the first time about the kinds of questions my seventh graders are asking me in class. Hmm. And it's because they've, They've heard it all. They've seen it all. Uh, and they're exposed to so much that is so extreme and sensationalized. And how are they supposed to know what's real and what isn't? So, you know, it, it's gotten to be a joke in my room. But before they go to tell me about something they've read or seen uh, or overheard, particularly if the media is involved, I encourage them to start their sentence with, I know that 90% or so of everything I see and read and hear about sexuality is, you know, and they say things like um, exaggerated, sensationalized, untrue, misleading. But here's my question. And I'm so pleased that that's caught on because what that means is they're now, they now know that whatever they take in, they have to look at with a critical eye mm-hmm. and always know that it's their parents and their teachers who are the ones who can help them understand 
what's really a reflection of reality and what's attributable to, you know, the often quoted phrase, sex sells. Tell, tell me, Deborah, I'm going off a little bit, but not too much. Why do you think Fifty Shades of Grey has been such a sensation? Is it because it's sensational? I mean, are, are people... Yeah, because it's sensational, right? No, that's not the lie. That's not the life of everyday people, and that's where we have to help our children most. I think is we need to give them an accurate reflection of reality. And the reason that 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 stuff is grabbing their attention, and the only reason, is that we adults are still stuck in questions like, "Oh, when do I start talking to my child about sex?" You know, we we need to sort of get past that one. And understand that our real job is to help kids grow, deal with the reality of the, of the world around them. Mm, yeah, because it's, you know, on one hand, you look at some of the behaviors in the books, and some people would be offended, some people wouldn't mm-hmm. be. But on the other hand, it's been a bestseller. I mean, there have been other books written like this before. But in this particular well, yeah. age, it's kind of taken the country by storm. Think about it, though. You know, books like that used to be marketed entirely to adults. Yes. And there's always been a market uh, for books that are highly sexualized. The problem today is that, the, you know, the, the boundaries that used to exist between the adult and adolescent world vanished quite, quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. And now they're vanishing for even elementary school age children. After all, you, you may be aware of the sexy Halloween costumes that they mm-hmm. sell for five- and six-year-olds, mm-hmm. which is totally outrageous, and yet somehow we've allowed that to happen in our culture, and we really only have ourselves uh, to blame, I think. And I believe that as soon as we engage with our children directly about these issues, the the other sources that are trying to get their attention are are going to have to go find somebody else to exploit. All right. So let's, let's in the last few minutes we have left in this interview, I'd like you to explain or give parents or folks a tips. Tips of what, what would you say we should be doing with our children? Just some concrete things that are definites. To help can them you, understand can, sexuality. Can tell, me, tell me an age range that you most would like me to focus on with that question. Oh, you know, I'd like you to do all of them, but I, I guess, well, why don't you tell me, what do you think is the most uh, problematic? Okay. I think we have to educate ourselves about the kinds of questions that young children typically ask okay. uh, and what their real meaning is as opposed to what we may project we think they're, they are saying or asking and uh, that's something that I focus on tremendously in all of my writing. I want us to get behind their eyes and think about what they're thinking, not what we're projecting onto them. As, as soon as kids get older and start being exposed to things around them, we need to give them an open invitation, and I would say starting at grade three, because that's often for a host of developmentally-based reasons when the conversation sort of steps up on the playground about these issues. Uh, tell them, tell your kids, I want to hear everything. Bring it all home. What are kids saying? What are kids thinking? Uh, and and then, of course, we, we have to be okay with what they're going to bring home. As soon as we react in a exaggerated way, 
they're going to stop coming to us. We just need to think of these things as, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as kids get older, I think the limit limit setting uh, issue is huge. We have to make sure that our young and older, even older teenagers are properly supervised. Uh, and we need to talk to them about everything, even if we talk to them about what's in the news about sexuality. This mm-hmm. most recent election cycle was filled with issues related to sex, gender, and reproduction that parents can use to keep the conversation going. All right. Tell people how they can find your book and your work, Deborah. Uh, this place probably is to visit my website, uh, which has lots of resources on it, including uh, opportunities to purchase my books. And that website is Talk To, but it's the number two, not the word to, talktomefirst.com. Talktomefirst.com. It's really been it's very enlightening and a pleasure to have you on the program, Deborah. And my pleasure, too. Know- Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Deborah Rothman, her new book is Talk to Me First, Everything You Need to Know to Become Your Kid's Go-To Person About Sex. And you can log on talktomefirst.com, and that's talk, not the number two, mefirst.com. Um, really appreciate you coming on the program. My pleasure, and I hope you invite me back. I will, I will. All right, stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, have a wonderful, happy new year. Today's December 31st. It's- Thank you. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com, for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Happy New Year. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.